drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's it's time for the gunny. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to The Quarter Deck. I am your host, Miguel, The Gunny Signs. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarter Deck. This week, we're going to continue our reading of our book and move on into Chapter 3. We're just talking about the adjustments to the plan and the combat rehearsals that the division was going to be conducting in order for them to be prepared for that trip from Kuwait heading into Iraq. In our hero highlight this week, we're going to take a look at the story, the citation of Major Robert Hugo Dunlap of the United States. Oh my goodness, what a week we're having this week. Already. It's already the middle of February and it's hard to believe that this month is flying by. And remember last week it was my wife's birthday, my son's birthday, and now we're moving on to my daughter's birthday and my birthday is coming up in the middle of February. So we're going to be able to celebrate a couple more before the month is over. And then as soon as we hit into March, right away, bam. We have my other daughter's birthday that's on the 3rd of March. So it's going to be a very, very busy uh, time here in the household because we're going to make sure that we celebrate all of them. Not only that, though, remember, Gunny's birthday is also on the 28th on the day of my birthday as well. So he gets to celebrate his birthday. And I think this year we're going to get him a little bigger cake than we did last year because we are going to make sure that he's able to celebrate it because he's going to be the big two on the 28th of February. So he's going to be able to celebrate that. Now, We talked about some of the stories that we had from being on active duty in the Marine Corps. And, you know, we stopped at when we got to MCT, Marine Combat Training, down there in Camp Lejeune. Now, being in the military, you know, we got to remember that there's going to be a lot of holidays that you're going to miss. You're not going to be able to be home. You're not going to be there with anybody during the holidays and stuff. And that was the case when I first came into the service back in 1995. I went home on boot leave, as they call it, right straight out of recruit training. and then. I got married. (laughs) I was one of those typical boots that went home and got married during boot leave. Now, I don't know why they blocked it off that way, but, you know, for me, I did not have the opportunity to go on recruiter's assistance to go down there and spend time with my recruiter to actually be able to uh, help and recruit people for 10 days of free leave. I didn't have that option. I tried. I contacted the recruiter, but however, since they were in Kentucky and I was in Texas during my leave, It was kind of hard to make sure that I had that opportunity because, first of all, I had no idea. I didn't know any recruiters that were down there in Texas at the time, so I wasn't able to do that stuff. But anyway, after the big old wedding, after, you know, got married and all that stuff, I headed back to North Carolina. And remember, I told you guys that the airlines, the plane tickets, as you buy it from freaking Sato Travel, is expensive as heck because you only buy it like a week in advance or a couple days in advance from when you're graduating from recruit training. And then heading out to wherever you're going, but it's got to be a round trip ticket. It's got to be a a ticket to wherever you're from. And then from where you're from back to North Carolina to get you back down there to Camp Johnson. So it's a pain in the butt to get all those things uh, done and everything put into place in order to get you back for your training. So once I arrived back there in North Carolina, I got to the airport 
I was waiting for the shuttle to actually take me down there to Camp Johnson. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. Before even that, when I was at the airport in El Paso in Texas, I told the lady that I was heading down there to uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina to head over to training. And she booked my ticket stuff and everything. And then she's like, oh, wait a second. You're not going to Jacksonville, Florida, are you? And I'm like, heck no, I'm going to Jacksonville, North Carolina down there to to the training to make sure that I have uh, the right way to go. I mean, I, luckily she asked me because she was about to send my ass down there to freaking uh, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> I mean, it would have been nice to have a vacation down there, right? It would have been nice to have a vacation to be able to go down to Jacksonville. But no, I had to go down there and actually do some training in order for us to uh, get ready to do the training for Marine combat training. But then I got to North Carolina and we had to take a shuttle. So all of us got together. There was about a total about 15 or 20 of us that showed up at the airport that same day. And then we were heading off there to, to actually Jacksonville. And there was an actual bus that they had there that we had to pay for the shuttle. I figured the shuttle would be free to get us back down there to, you know, Camp Johnson. Uh-uh. That wasn't the case because we had to pay for the ticket. It was down there with the USO at the airport. They got us loaded up and they headed us down there to Jacksonville. Once we got there, we were able to check in and stuff. And then they gave us the news. We were going to have breaks within our training session that we were going to have to do. The reason I say that is because we're not going to finish until after the holidays. And we were going to have some classes, some training and stuff before that. But our class didn't start for another two and a half weeks when, I, when we got there. Uh, so we were just kind of basically just hanging around, being a bunch of people, doing working parties and working around the little base. They were helping out with other units that were there and other schoolhouses that needed extra hands to help them to file paperwork, to shred paper, all that stuff. And, you know, so it, it was just a keeping us busy time frame for us to be able to stay busy until it was time for us to get ready to actually start our training that we were going to be able to do. So once all that whole process was that was checking in, we checked in, we were assigned to our platoons, and then we were just basically on standby. We were standing by to uh, start our training. The one good plus about it, once I got over there to Jacksonville, North Carolina, and I got down there to Camp Geiger to do the training, I was actually selected to be the scribe for the R platoon, which is pretty cool because I got to make the fire watch rosters. I got to help with the training schedule and all that stuff. So I knew what was coming up and I handled assigning all the rest of the Marines that were there for the fire watches that were uh, going to be there with us. I remember fire watch is just simply a glorified way of calling pretty much standing duty. Standing duty kind of uh, 24 hours a day whenever we're there in the, squ- in the squad bay to ensure that everything is secured, all that stuff and everything. It's nothing new because throughout recruit training, you know, you do that all the time. It's a big difference, though. Big difference from recruit training because you don't have drone instructors freaking ensuring that you're doing everything correctly the right way once you are there and can report your post and all those different things like that. So being able to actually do the duty roster was a plus for me because I was able to get all those done. And of course, everybody there wanted to make sure that they kind of stayed on my good side because I made sure that they didn't have any kind of fire watches on the weekends whenever we were there, because now that we were in Marine combat training, we were officially basically trained Marines getting ready to head off into our training. They allowed us to have that weekend Liberty. Let's talk about weekend Liberty. I remember it was the first weekend that we had Liberty and you know, so we were able to go off the little base and let me tell you guys in Jacksonville, North Carolina, there's nothing there. Those of you that have been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is really nothing there. And even when I went back later on in my career and I was stationed there again, 
man, it hasn't changed. It's still the same. I mean, I, as a boot, as a newly Marine there that's never been to North Carolina, it's a different world because you don't know where anything is around there at all whatsoever. You have no clue what's around, where any kind of restaurants are or anything like that. We decided to find a Mexican restaurant because we wanted to have some Mexican food. And we found a Mexican restaurant down there and we had some food. But like a typical young Marine, you know, I was young. I wasn't 21 yet, so I wasn't able to buy any alcohol. However, we had a Marine that was 21. And what does every Marine do? Of course, I convinced him that I was going to give him some money. He'd go down there, buy me a bottle of tequila. And then, you know, we will commence to having a good time down there. Well, you know, me being me as a young, dumb little Marine, I took that bottle of tequila and I just started chugging that damn thing. I started chugging. I think I finished more than half of the bottle before we're sitting down there on the table waiting for our food. Well, that cost me to, you know, say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And once I got up, man, that crap hit me. It hit me bad. And then I went to the bathroom, never made it out. My food came to the table, all those things. The Marines came to look for me in the bathroom. There I was freaking doing the freaking praying dance on top of the freaking toilet, just waiting there, you know, knocked the heck out because I was freaking throwing the hell up. So it was in, an interesting phase of my early, early Marine Corps career because it was nothing typical. I mean, of course, you know, they told us don't go out there and start getting drunk and all that stuff and come back and then get in trouble and blah, blah, blah. But Marines being Marines, they took care of me. They took care of the bill. I didn't, have, I didn't pay for none of my food, but they got it to go for me. They packed it up and they actually took me back to the squad bay. And they basically had to kind of carry me and, and make sure that I went to bed. And one of the instructors was there and he just started laughing. He just started laughing his ass off and then they put me to bed and that was it. I was out and then, you know, that was kind of the first experience that we had with the Weekend Liberty down there in uh, North Carolina. But like I said, you know, it's very interesting the stories that you come up with and the things that you do when you're an early young Marine on active duty. It's very, very, very interesting. So if any of you guys got any stories or anything like that, remember on my podcast, you can go to Facebook at the Quarter Deck with Gunny Signs, submit your questions. If you want to be a guest, sign up to be a guest and I'll go ahead and contact you and get you out to be a guest. The Quarter Deck is brought to you by Miguel Science Photography. From the beginning of your family to the first birthday and beyond. Whether it's a retirement or a Marine Corps ball, Miguel Science Photography is there to make memories that will last a lifetime. Miguel Science Photography is a certified veteran-owned business. Contact them at miguelsciencephotography.com. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Quarter Deck with your host, Miguel Agani Signs, and I want to welcome you guys here. Last week, we talked about how the public affairs was getting put into the actual units and what the division's plan was for actually allowing them to tag along and explain to them exactly what they were going to be able to do and how close they were actually going to be able to get into the actual combat environment. And, you know, they told them, we're going to get you in there so you can actually breathe the air from the enemy and watch the Marines stick bayonets into their throat and annihilate them as they make their way from Kuwait all the way into Baghdad. And some of the reporters were like, what the heck, man? You know, but that was the plan. That was the plan for the division to allow the news broadcasters and everybody that was going to be attached with the division for them to be able to cover the stories because they wanted to make sure that the American people back in the United States understood exactly what the division was doing and what the plan was going to be from the movement from Kuwait all the way into Iraq. 
So this week we're going to talk about the adjustments of the plan of the combat rehearsals. Rehearsals are very, very important. The more you rehearse, the better the mission is going to be accomplished. And, you know, in the Marine Corps, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that in the other services too, that you got we do rock drills all the time. We actually make little little terrain models of the actual combat environment of our area of operations. And we, were, and we put uh, the little vehicles that we're going to be using and actually uh, plan our maneuver and secondary plans in case something should happen while we are doing that stuff. So let's go ahead and get into talking about this week about what is going to be occurring with all these combat rehearsals. So now that the Marines were in theater, the requirements to remain alert was even more important. The terrorist murder of two Army civilian contractors just outside the Camp Doha base and repeated terrorist threats heightened the security posture. The Iraqis have certainly attempted to infiltrate agents into the area of Kuwait where the U.S. forces were staging and were likely monitoring the actions of all U.S. forces in country. While waiting for the division's secure communications equipment to arrive, the division was forced to use carriers of secure communications between sites. Units still conducted non-secure business over cellular telephones operating on civilian networks. But even unclassified sensitive information was at risk of compromise. As the division neared final week before combat operations were to begin, the CG re-emphasized the force protection guidance he had provided to his Marines in August. Due caution was exercised in all activity, including armed Marines traveling in multi-vehicle convoys, guardian angel use, and secure entry control points, or ECPs, to all LSA areas. The division carefully monitored all terrorists and indicators. The Marines considered themselves hard targets and were prepared if the enemy chose to infiltrate hostiles early throughout the terrorist styles of attacks. By their discipline, the Marines sent a message of intimidation to the Iraqis on the other side of the border. Despite the heightened security posture, however, the priority of effort was clearly on combat preparation. The division focused on being no worse enemy as it prepared to send shockwaves to the Iraqi army. As expected, the operation of plans continued to change even well after the division arrived in Kuwait. The division took these changes in stride and was careful not to be too wedded to a base plan. Planning now took a backseat to training and rehearsals as the division planned to win the fight through brilliance in the basics. The tactical, physical, and moral readiness of the individual Marine was going to be a harbinger of success, not reliance on a scripted plan. Mental agility, habitual relationships, and well-honed tactics would earn the division the speed necessary to reduce risk. Division leaders worked to reinforce aggressive spirit and mental toughness of their Marines during the last weeks of preparation. Whatever the Iraqis were planning, the Marines of the division would be prepared to crush any resistance of their path. So let's think about this for a second. So as we can see, the division wasn't really focused on just the written plan that they were going to execute as they prepared to head into country. You know, we talked about this before and we discussed how everything always looks great on paper. Everything looks great on paper 
And when you're actually executing the mission, it, you know, becomes a reality because you got to make changes along the way, no matter what changes have to be done on the fly and whatever decisions, you know, the leaders were going to make were the, what exactly what is going to happen. And sometimes those decisions that you make are good decisions. And sometimes they're not quite as good, but you got to stand by the decision that you're making. Now, when they're talking about that, you know, their division was conducting training. Now I can remember, you know, like we talked about earlier, the 11th Marines was at Camp Matilda. That is where our staging area was in preparation for us to be able to get ready to head over into the country of Iraq. Every single day, you know, we conducted our training with the gas mask. We carried it with us 24 hours a day. There were uh, certain times of the day where we had to wear our gas mask for three to four hours at a time to just get used to wearing the mask and conducting our maintenance, our drills, anything that we needed to do while we were still constantly wearing that mask because it became, uh, you know, a reality that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, and today, the way that individuals look back at what happened during that time, there are so many things and so many people that say, oh, this never happened, or this is this and this was happened. And, you know, situations are what they are. Individuals have the right to believe whatever they want to believe as an active duty service member at that time on the ground with the division. You know, our whole purpose was to be there and prepare to head in there and liberate the people of that country. We had a mission. Regardless, we were going to accomplish that mission. And, you know, I had made a promise to all the Marines that we had in the unit with us that we were going to ensure that all of them were going to come back home the same way that we left. We were all going to come back regardless. So all these rehearsals that the division was doing was very, very important because now they were actually being prepared for what was to come. Now, remember, we talked about a couple of weeks ago regarding that that division was very young. All the Marines were very young, and there were very, very few Marines that were still around from the first desert storm. Very few. So not many Marines had combat experience. So they had to ensure that they were prepared with all these rehearsals. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at uh, the Iraqis welcome uh, to the new year. You know, how they welcomed the new year now that the division was going to actually head in there and help them to liberate them from the regime of Saddam Hussein. Hero highlight. So many warriors, so many determined Marines that continue to do heroic things in World War II. This weekend in our hero highlight, it's no exception. We're going to take a look at Major Robert Hugo Dunlap of the United States Marine Corps. And we're moving along and getting through our World War II Medal of Honor recipients. And, you know, it's always an honor to be able to read their citations and see exactly what they did because they're the ones that laid the foundation. They laid the foundation for the reason that so many Marines in today's Marine Corps enlisted into the Corps because of the things that they did. And if we can remember, we talked about some of the famous ones that Marines know about. Chesty Puller, Dan Daly, all of those that are well known. And, you know, a lot of you, if you have no idea who the heck they are, then, you know, hey, do some research because these are heroic Marines that we had in our past in our beloved Marine Corps. The Pacific is a great, great show that follows 
the history, the traditions, and what the Marines actually went through during that time frame. And, you know, I think I'm thinking about going back and watching that thing again because it was amazing. I loved that series. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with our reading for this week from our Marine, Major Robert Hugo Dunlap, United States Marine Corps. Major Robert H. Dunlap, United States Marine Corps. On 18 December of 1945, Major Robert H. Dunlap, United States Marine Corps, then a captain, was awarded the nation's highest military decoration. President Harry S. Truman presented Dunlap the Medal of Honor in a White House ceremony. As commanding officer of Company C, 1st Battalion, 26th Marines, 5th Marine Division, during the Iwo Jima campaign, Dunlap led his company through a hail of artillery, mortar, rifle, and machine gun fire in a determined advance from low ground uphill towards the steep cliffs from where the enemy poured a devastating rain of bullets and shrapnel. When the volume of enemy fire finally became too intense to advance any further towards the caves located high to the front, Dunlap held up his company and crawled alone approximately 200 yards forward of his front lines while his men watched in fear and admiration. From this position at the base of the cliff, about 50 yards from the Japanese lines, Dunlap spotted the enemy gun positions and returning to his own lines, relayed the vital information to the supporting artillery and naval gunfire units. Persistently disregarding his own safety, he then placed himself in an exposed vantage point to direct a more accurate supporting fire. Dunlap worked with respite for two days and two nights under constant enemy fire skillfully directing a smashing bombardment against the almost impregnable enemy positions. During this critical phase of the battle, his company suffered heavy casualties. But by his inspiring leadership and immobile fighting spirit, Dumnap spurred his men to a heroic effort, which resulted in the final decisive defeat of Japanese consertions in the sector. Previously, during the Bougainville campaign, Dunlap, while attached to the 1st Parachute Regiment, was awarded a letter of commendation from Admiral William F. Hazley. On 9 December of 1943, his platoon was pinned down by heavy Japanese machine gun fire. As platoon leader, Dunlap exposed himself to a heavy fire and was able to rally his depleted platoon and maneuver it to position to reoccupy the lost ground. Dunlap's commanding officer said of him, at the time, apparently a very quiet, retiring personality. This officer demonstrated outstanding qualities of battlefield leadership, skillful, courageous, and tenacious in adversity. Robert Hugo Dunlap was born in Abingdon, Illinois on 19 October, 1920. The son of William G and Leon K Dunlap. He attended school in Abingdon and graduated from high school in 1938. While in school, he was active in football, basketball, and track, and well as participating in class plays. Dunlap attended Mammoth College in Mammoth, Illinois, where he was a prominent football player and a trackman, treasurer of the student body 
in his senior year, he majored in economics and business administration and minored in mathematics. He graduated in May of 1942. While in college, he enlisted in the Marine Corps on 5 March 1942. He was promoted to private first class and placed in the inactive list with the platoon leaders unit of the 9th Reserve District until his graduation. Called to active duty in May of 1942, he was transferred to the candidates class at Quantico, Virginia. He was discharged as an enlisted Marine on 17 July and commissioned as a second lieutenant the following day. Following Quantico, Denlap requested parachute training and was ordered to parachute training school at Camp Gillespie, San Diego, California. He was designated a parachutist on 23 November of 1942 and the next month was assigned to the 3rd Parachute Battalion. Promoted to 1st Lieutenant in April of 1943, Dunlap took part in the evasions in Vella La Vella and Bougainville in the Solomon Islands during the latter part of the 1943. Dunlap returned to the United States in March of 1944 to join the 5th Marine Division that was being formed at Camp Pendleton, California. The veteran officer became a machine gun platoon leader in Company G, 3rd Battalion, 26 Marines. He departed for overseas for the second time in the summer of 1944, and on 2 October 1944, was promoted to captain. With his new rank, he was assigned as company commander of Company C, 1st Battalion, 26 Marines, in which capacity he was serving when he performed the actions that resulted in the Medal of Honor at Iwo Jima. On 26 February 1945, Dunlap was wounded in the left hip. He was evacuated from Iwo Jima and subsequently was a patient at the U.S. Naval Hospitals at Guam, Pearl Harbor, San Francisco, and Great Lakes, Illinois. Hospitalized for nearly 14 months, Dunlap was discharged from the Great Lakes on 20 April 1946. He was placed in the inactive duty until September of that year and retired as a major on 1 December 1946. In addition to the Medal of Honor and Letter of Commendation with the Ribbon, Dunlap was awarded the Purple Heart Presidential Unit Citation with one Bronze Star, American Campaign Medal, Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal with four Bronze Stars, and the World War II Victory Medal. Major Robert Hugo Dunlap died on 24 March of 2000. He was buried in Warren County Memorial Park in Mammoth, Illinois. The Quarterdeck. Another day, another dollar for the division down there in Iraq. And as they were moving in, doing all those rehearsals and planning for combat, they're one step closer to getting ready to head into Iraq to liberate the people down there. Next week in our reading of our book, with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, no better friend, no worse enemy. We're going to take a look at the Iraqis and how they welcome the new year. It's hard to believe how all the heroes that we have did the things that they did. And there was no difference with Major Robert Hugo Dunlap that we looked at this week. And what he did to earn himself that Congressional Medal of Honor. It was outstanding what he did. and the history and the stories that all these individuals have told. I want to thank you guys again for joining us this week and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a great weekend spending the time with your family. 
and we will see you guys next week. So until then, this is Miguel, the Gunny Signs, sounding Liberty, Liberty Call. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The Constitution of the United States. The United States.